guess what? Barry Rose has finally graced us with his appearance. He's back from Cali with his lady friend, whose name will be identified this week on a very special edition of Breaking Kayfabe. Yes, it's episode 242 of Breaking Kayfabe about and Barry, the three best friends you didn't know you had. On this particular issue, Barry, uh, first of all, Barry, yeah, well, welcome back. Glad you can make it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yep. that. We are going to October 9th, 1982, to the rings of the WWF in, ah, not in witchies. It's Allentown, PA, as it is Ray the Crippler Stevens, uh, correctly named in this particular uh, match, Barry, against a superfly Jimmy Snuka and Captain Lou is involved. Uh, uh, Buddy Rogers is involved. Hello, welcome to Rogers Corner. We're going to talk about that. Uh, let's see what else we're going to talk about. A little Florida man or not. We are going to be talking. Oh, Barry, a rare time. We're gonna be talk- I'm going to give you a prescription medicine story, Barry, that will curl your hairs. Uh-oh. Before all that, Barry. Oh, and wedding stories, Barry. Do you love a good wedding story? I do. I do. Especially, uh, not not going to break kayfabe, when it's a Hungarian wedding. Uh, <laughs> Barry, Barry loves a good Hungarian wedding story. So uh, before we do that, though, Barry, I've got some trivia for you. Barry. I know it's never a bad time to talk with you about some solid movie trivia. Oh, are you ready? Because I love Frank Sinatra movies, okay? Okay. Uh, I love Frank Sinatra as a singer. I love his uh, South Florida movies. Have you ever seen the the Frank Sinatra, the Tony Rome, uh, Lady in Cement, set in South Florida, late 60s? I did see that. Yes, I yes, have. Yeah. And it's, only, it's a nice look back at South Florida, the way it was, you know, uh, before the population exploded. And, uh, you know, it's just a, like a little sleepy seaside place and a lot of fun. But here's what's interesting. I, I was doing like a, a Frank Sinatra uh, series where I watched like three or four Frank Sinatra movies. So I came across this movie uh, Frank Sinatra did. I think it was 1968, very gritty uh, look at a detective in New York City. And the movie was called The Detective. Have you ever seen this movie? That that doesn't sound familiar. OK, now. so uh, he plays a detective named uh, I believe his name is Joe McAllen or something like that. And so, uh, you know, I watched the movie. It's very good. And as I want to do, I go on IMDb and I'm looking up stuff and, you know, trivia about the movie. So this movie, Barry, was made in 1968. OK. As I'm looking up notes about the movie, because it was like, I will say, it was a good movie. It wasn't a great movie. Uh, there's some stuff, quite frankly, that uh, in hindsight are very, very troubling about the about uh-huh. the movie, about uh, certain ways uh, that people are portrayed, uh, uh, if you will. But what I found fascinating, Barry, was this uh, story uh, of the detective was written by a guy, and the guy's name, hold on just one second as I pull it up real quick, was written by uh, based on a book by a guy named Roderick Thorpe. Okay. Okay. Now, the reason I bring this up to you, Barry Rose, was because the detective. The, I'm sorry, it wasn't Joe McCallum. It was Joe Leland was the character Frank Sinatra played uh, in the movie The Detective, and Roderick Thorpe had written uh, this book and he wrote a series based on this character. Okay. And what I found especially interesting, and I said, oh, I got to tell Barry Rose about it, was because. They did one sequel uh, that apparently didn't go anywhere. And then they did another sequel many years later that was about a guy that went out to rescue his daughter that had been kidnapped. And as I'm reading about this, I read that they wanted Frank Sinatra to play, to to redo the character. However, this was many years later. Um, I'm trying to think, okay, the two, it would have been 20 years later. 
And I found out that this character they wanted Frank Sinatra to play was not uh, Joe McKellen, Barry. The character's name in the new version was John McClane. Oh. How's that, huh? Wow. The character that Frank Sinatra played of Joe Leland in The Detective was the character that Bruce Willis took over in Die Hard, a movie that Barry Rose may have mentioned once or twice on this show. Barry, does this make you any more interested in watching this film? Yeah, it does. So was it, even though the character's name was John McClane, was it essentially the same it character? It was the same character because what they did was when they uh, took Die Hard and made it into a movie, like I said, originally the plot had him going out to save his daughter that had been kidnapped by terrorists in a high rise. And they switched oh. going to save his wife who had been kidnapped by terrorists. Uh, and of course they turned it into Die Hard and stuff like that. But uh, two little factoids for you, Bear. Yeah, that's a that's but that's hardcore uh, trivia right there. Yes, that's never what I said. heard. I knew you'd that, like yeah. it. What was interesting was Frank wow. Sinatra was the original first choice to uh, basically take the character. Uh, I don't know if they would have still called him uh, Joe Leland or not before they switched it to John McClane, but did you know this is this is even deep, this is almost deep web trivia? Jeez, Bruce Willis's first appearance in a film. According to this trivia that I read there was in the Frank Sinatra movie, The First Deadly Sin, which was I think it was like 1980. It was like a, like where he passed him in a hallway. It's like a walk on role. But that was Bruce Willis's first appearance on a film. So I thought it's kind of some interconnected tissues there. What do you think, Bear? Yeah, why are we just hearing about this now? This is major league trivia right here. Why was well, this? Yeah. Do you get this kind of stuff from other shows on the Arcadian Vanguard <laughs> Network? No. Let's see. Hold on. Hold on. There's yeah. stick to stick to wrestling. So what uh, do they it's do not, there? It's not stick to Frank Sinatra movies. I can. Ah, uh, got that. it. Okay. There's uh no that, that one's not on the network. Any yeah. Brian Solomon. I hear that's a great show. I haven't listened to yeah, it. Do they talk go. about you this know. kind of stuff? Uh, he probably doesn't mention Bruce Willis movies. We'll reach out to him and find out. All right, so, Jim uh, Cornette. Jim so, well, you know, I'm sure now Jim Cornette very varied with what he talks about. So maybe he's talked about this before. I don't know. So uh, Barry also wanted to mention, you know, my boy Gunn. Yes, he 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 has my heart and uh, had an incident the other night at home where we're sitting downstairs watching TV. Gunny goes uh, up to take an early uh, a sabbatical on the evening, uh, get his spot in bed. Uh, so sure. no one pushes him out of the way. And all of a sudden we hear this yelp Aww. and it's like a. I'm hurt Yelp, okay? And, of course, much like you would do with your boy Oz, I immediately yeah. uh, bolted up the stairs as much as my uh, my big ass can bolt. But I go up there, and then, of course, who comes running past me? That's the fucking cat. The cat comes running past me, our kayfabe cat, as we call him, because uh, we're not supposed to reveal that we have a cat. But anyway, so I go up, and Gunny's on the bed. I'm like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? What's going on? Apparently, there was some kind of kerfluffle with the cat. And as I go to check on Gunny, Gunny got a little color. Oh, he apparently like flair. He had it taped to his paw. Uh, sure. did, you know, did a little gig on himself right above the eye, like oh. came pretty close to the eye. So, uh, you know, we did some uh, loving attention to Gunny, uh, made him feel better. Uh, he always likes when mom gives him a little bit of attention. And He's, Jeff, where, where is the cat buried now? That we, first thing my wife asked. What did you do to the cat? I go, I go, I didn't touch the cat. And it's beginning. He's lucky I didn't catch him because I would have done something. Yeah. The fuck with, uh, with Gunny. But the reason I bring this story up was I, I got a, a Gunny related uh, story regarding a healthcare situation. So Gunny, 
if you remember many years ago uh, now, I don't know, four, three, four years ago, Gunny had surgery on his leg where he had a, a, a potentially cancerous tumor, okay? And he gets the uh, the tumor removed, but uh, because when they were doing like, you know, the various blood tests and stuff like that, I think his liver enzyme for spiked uh, for something. So he takes uh, a medicine uh, for uh, keep his liver in check, right? All right. So same, this is, same as Flaherty is what you're saying. Exactly. Yes. Right. No, I think I think Gunny's liver is probably in better shape than Flaherty. <laughs> okay. I digress. So anyway, so uh, we're uh, you know, Mrs. Badrin says she gets a an email the other day from the uh, the vet uh, and it says, uh, oh, I just want to let you know that uh, the cost of uh, this medicine has gone up that Gunny takes. And so she looks at the headline of the email and I'll I'll check this out when I get home. And uh, because she said uh, the previous month. She had got the same kind of email, and the medicine had gone up like a dollar, something like that, okay? So she's like, okay, I'll check it out. The next day, she wakes up. Uh, she's getting ready for work. She checks her email. She's eating breakfast. She comes in to inform me that the email that she had received the previous day, and at this point, we're talking maybe 18 hours later, okay? This is not like a week turnover waiting for us to respond to the email. Uh, letting you know that your medicine has been shipped and there has uh, been the price increase. Barry, what would you say? Uh, Ozzy, uh, I don't know if I've ever asked you, does Ozzy take any sort of uh, medicine of a prescription nature? He Just his Sempericatria, which is the flea tick and heartworm okay. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just ballpark. Do you know how much that cost? Roughly, it's about a dollar per day is what it comes yeah, out to. Okay, yeah. And that's, uh, you know, it's it's not great, but it's not... Completely unreasonable. Gunny's right. medicine, the previous month, uh, according to the loved uh, Mrs. Bowdrin, $55, okay? I think that's for like a month's supply or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, roughly just under $2 a day. The new cost, as Mrs. Oh. Bowdrin is reading the email, Barry, now, it was oh. $55. Wait, wait, wait a minute. If it had gone up to, say, $75, he'd be going, ah. Kind of a little price hike there. I'm not real happy about that. If it had gone to a uh, hundred dollars, you'd be like, "What the fuck, man? That's a pretty substantial. That's almost up." If it went to one ten, that would be double the price from last month. Barry, do you know how much the new price was that uh, they sent us the email the day before they uh, so mailed it out to us? It had gone up from fifty five dollars to a new price. That new price now is ninety five dollars. A thousand dollars. Get the fuck out of here. $1,000. How, how is this possible? I have no, you know, and this was not like it's coming from uh, Upper Mongolia, uh, you know, Bratislava. This is coming from Oregon. I, I'm like, what the fuck? So and what are you guys doing? That's $1,000. Uh, Mrs. Bowdrin calls the vet's office and she explains <laughs> the situation. And they said, well, first of all, that's completely ridiculous. Second of all, we want you to know you're not the only person that has been uh, uh, made aware of this uh, price increase on this particular item. We have other people that have bring their dogs here that the dog takes similar medications. And yeah, Barry, $55 to $1,000 for a 30-day supply of this medicine. Now, like, is this the same the same vet that your daughter works at? No, no. Okay. My daughter formerly worked there. It uh -huh. is a, a VCA uh, located uh, uh, by us uh, as – as our former vet in South Florida used to say, VCA stands for very costly advice. So, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, my wife called them. They uh, immediately put a stop uh, on the uh, shipment of the uh, prescription medication. Uh, my wife contacted the bank. Uh, the bank was going to you know, refund, uh, make sure the money got refunded to us. Man, Barry, what the fuck? 
I mean, I understand the cost of prescriptions, and I don't want to turn this into a political thing because we're talking about our dogs. But that's just fucking ridiculous, Bear. Well, but and sadly, it does become political. And I, this is not an indictment of any sort of, uh, you know, current president or anything like that. But at the end of the day, Jeff, if your medicine has gone up from fifty five dollars to a thousand dollars, there are a lot of people and I'm talking, I'm assuming hundreds of thousands that will be looking at the medicine and not be able to afford it, which means their pets are going to die. The same will occur with people and inflation. It, it's it's so out of control. And I just came back, which we'll discuss a little bit later from a vacation. But at the same time, there was a couple of days where it was a work conference. And a lot of that work conference, the terms inflationary uh, environment were used. They, they kept saying inflationary environment because everything's gone up. Before I left, I had to refill the rent-a-car. Now, I don't know, and I actually want to ask you about this with your, your current job, your current position, but I, fi- I filled up the rent-a-car. Now, granted, I'm in California. Gas is going to be more, which I'm aware of. I filled up the car, and there was a little less than a quarter of a tank left. So essentially, three-quarters of a tank I had to fill. It cost me over $85. I've never spent that much. I got home that night, and because my kids had had my car and picked me up from the airport, of course, that was on empty. That then cost me $65, meaning I spent $150 for two vehicles in the same day, which is absolutely crazy. But everywhere I went, I went food shopping yesterday, and I always buy this pack, and this is, I'm sure people love hearing about us complain about the prices of shit right now, but I always buy the same pack of bread. It's a non bread, it's an Indian bread. When I started buying it, it was $2.49 for a four pack. Within the last three months, maybe four months, it's gone up to $4.69. So it's essentially doubled. So to your point, Going from $55 to $1,000 is completely unrealistic. No, like I said, if it had gone from $55 to $100, I'd be pissed. Yes. I'd fucking bitch about it. But, you know, it's it's like, it, it is what it is, much like the price of gas. I'm not happy about the price of gas. What can you know, we do? Yeah. What but do? when it goes from $55 <laughs> to $1,000, <laughs> that's, yeah, especially... Within one month, this is not over the course of like, you know, four years. So within one month, and they give you a email that gives you essentially 18 hours notice that you're going to be billed for a thousand. And they took it out of our account, by the way. And so luckily my wife had just, you know, she had just gotten her paycheck. So, you know, otherwise you're like, what, what happens if we're fucking overdrawn or something? Wow. You know? If we're somebody that does not have the sort of, uh, you know, financial means that a Barry Rose has, that he's able to go out to Beverly Hills, fucking California, you know, uh, business trip. Yeah, okay. But, you know, not everybody is as, you know, incredibly wealthy as people like Barry Rose or Brian Last or or people like that. And, you know, if they get that kind of hit on their bank account, like, what the fuck, you know? It's the Jews, Jeff. You're back on the whole Jewish <laughs> thing. It's the Jews. <laughs> You're going to say Lou next. It's like, well, yeah, the Jews can go on vacation and have, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, look, it's a, it's a nightmare. And I got to tell you is uh, I, I guess I'm getting a little scared at this point because I, again, seeing prices and grow, you know, the bare essentials, but it, prices in grocery stores, et cetera. How do you afford it? How do you afford well, yeah, to you go know, out and eat you know, longer? You know, it's crazy. And again, I don't want to turn this into a whole sure. economic thing, but you know, you, you hear the stories about baby formula. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, and how that's hard. And, you know, my wife and I go to the store and, you know, like my, uh, my wife made uh, wings the other night and, you know, I took a picture of it and I said, oh, here's what we have for dinner. And someone's like, oh, uh, how come there, there's only drumettes? Why, where are the, the flats and stuff like that? You know, do you know? Yes. The people know <laughs> there's a shortage of chicken wings out there. And, you know, when we get them, we have to pay quite a bit more than we did, you know, a few years ago because, you know, shit, the prices are going up on all kind of ridiculous stuff. And uh, it's funny because uh, I was just telling my wife the other day that there was, I don't know if you read about this, but there was a, uh, there was a, I won't say who, there was a certain celebrity on a talk show that was discussing the formula situation okay. who apparently stuck her foot in her mouth when she said, you know, why don't women just breastfeed? Oh, you know, that's a solution. Uh, when apparently she didn't consider the fact that uh, there are some women who have uh, issues producing breast milk after they have a child. Uh, there are some uh, babies that have a problem with that, you know, whatever. It, it, instead of saying, the point is, instead of saying, you know, if a woman is able to, perhaps they should consider that as an alternative rather than sounding like a fucking know-it-all and, hey, why don't you just slap the kid's face into your tit and that should solve the supply problems. Uh, anyway. We're getting on a whole tangent here, Barry. Let's, what do you say we talk a little match of the week? Barry, we are going to, oh, Barry, we are going to the rings of the W, 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 F. What? Three W's. We're going October 9th, 1982. Uh, I hope this won't bore others that listen to other Arcadian shows that seem to focus primarily on the WWF. But we are going to Allentown, PA, and Barry, it's Jimmy Snooker, Ray Stevens, and the captain, Louis Albano. Now, let's be honest. The match, I think the match lasts 45 seconds, okay? This may set the record for the shortest match. But the angle that was produced from this match was <laughs> tremendous, Barry. Tell me your thoughts. So here's the funny when you uh, when you reached out and you said, hey, well, you know, let, why don't we do this match? What do you think or whatever? I was actually kind of excited because I actually saw this. I had a friend. Her name was uh, and her name still is actually Lori Siskind. And she lived in North Miami Beach, Florida, and she got W.O.R. TV way before we ever did. If this was 82. I don't think we got uh, WRR and our cables until maybe 83 or 84. So I, I was never able to see the WWWF in my own house. I happened to be over Lori's house. It's a Saturday. I don't know what was going on. Well, and Slurpees with vodka. Uh, it, usually that's usually what, what it was. It was something like that. We were all part of a group, a bunch of us. There was probably 10 of us over the house. And for whatever reason, this came on and this, and I got to see this angle and I was completely like my, my mind was blown. Uh, you know, I was like, Holy shit. What, what just happened here? Uh, because they really lay it in, but it starts off with a Rogers corner and Rogers corner was, I guess the ill, ill-fated attempt of, of trying to do a talk show, a brief talk show. And th I think this eventually was the, uh, the genesis for Piper's pit, maybe six months, a year later, two years later, whatever it was, but Rogers who had been a legend in wrestling, then kind of disappeared, uh, came back to Florida, wrestled. Then he went to the Mid-Atlantic. I believe he disappeared again and then wound up in the Federation. And they brought him back as a, I guess, a part-time commentator. And he was doing this Rogers Corner. But really, considering all that you'd heard about him, 
he was kind of underwhelming on the mic, I would say. To <laughs> might say be the, the very least. Yeah, which is really – it's a disappointment because you're like, Buddy Rogers, this is the guy, right? This was like the other gorgeous George in a sense, Mr. Personality. No, very – very underwhelming on the mic and Snuka, you know, other than a couple of grunts, you're not going to get a whole lot of, out of Snuka. So it, it really starts off with Rogers, Snuka and, and Lou Albano. Rogers then informs Snuka that Albano was never his manager. There's no money. He never paid him, had never been his manager legally. And uh, at that point, Snuka basically severs ties with Albano and asked Rogers to be his manager. So the match in the ring, which is really a few minutes later, I like how it wasn't immediately following. You've got uh, Snuka versus Stevens. Basically, he's jumped from the get-go. They uh, Stevens, and I think Stevens had just come back to the Federation at this point, beats the snot out of Snuka. Two pile drivers on the concrete, blood everywhere. And uh, there's some great visuals of of Stevens laying in punches to Snuka, but he's got that bug-eyed Ray Stevens look that he sometimes got. And to, to Snuka's credit, sold it like a million dollars. He's doing the convulsions. He's holding his head. He's screaming. It's fantastic. No one comes out for Snuka for probably three minutes, and Rogers finally comes out. Uh, but it's a, as Jeff said, the match, I would say at most is 45 seconds. It's all to set up the angle of, of Snuka being a free man, not with Albano. And it really is the babyface turn of Jimmy Snuka in the Federation, Jeff. Well, a couple things I want to discuss. First of all, my God, you're 100% right, Barry. Check. Thank you. Uh, Buddy Rogers, completely underwhelming for a guy with a reputation uh, for being this ultimate heel and maybe, you know, maybe it was just a case of what magic that he had back in the day just wasn't there anymore. Well, let me just ask you before I go on. Uh, you remember him in Florida and, you know, he was the booker and, and all this kind of stuff. Sure. What sort of personality did he display? And was it, you know, like, uh, yeah, the, this guy is a coming off believable kind of thing. Did you find that or no? Not really. And so this is, again, I'm, I have to go back on memories. I was 15 years old, so I have to go back on a lot of it. Uh, what I remember, so let's talk about his in-ring ability. I think he was 58 or 59. Physically, he looked out of this world. He looked as great as anyone, I would say, in their 40s could ever hope to look, uh, you know, not on juice or et cetera. But he was in great shape. What they would do is he would position himself in tag matches. So he was usually in six-man or eight-man tag matches. He would get the hot tag. It was usually one, two, or three drop kicks, and he would go for the pin. So his entire time in the ring would probably last about 15 seconds, and then it was over, which was pretty smart. I think he had a heart issue as well, if I'm correct. The, uh, the caveat given for Buddy Rogers before – he became the booker was given to him by Eddie Graham that he was not to put himself in the ring. And that, you know, obviously having seen the mistakes of a lot of bookers, Eddie said, you know what, book from the sidelines, don't put yourself in the ring. And Eddie was gone. Eddie was gone for about three months. That's the interesting thing because the circumstances of him being gone, I'm very much unaware of where he was and what he was doing. I've heard a lot of rumors, but legit, he was gone for like three months, which is bizarre when you stop and think about it. Story goes, Eddie came back, saw what Buddy was doing, 
fired him as the booker, had him do his last match on TV where he gets destroyed by, by King Curtis, and that, that's the end of Buddy Rogers. I do think his interviews were – I don't remember them being embarrassing. I don't remember them being out of this world either. I, I think it was just kind of there. And I think a lot of people will tell you there's been a lot of criticism of Buddy as a booker from guys who worked with him. I know that Jerry Briscoe has been critical of Buddy Rogers and a couple of other people. It was an interesting time. My takeaway, and I think the takeaway that people like Pete Lederberg and others that might have been there, Howard Baum maybe as well, is that I thought we were lucky in being able to see Buddy Rogers. Like regardless of what we were seeing, this guy was a legend, right? This guy had, you know, he had the pedigree. This he had done so much. It's the guy that lost to Bruno in like 43 seconds, whatever it was. And uh, but it was Buddy Rogers. So the fact that we were able to see him was kind of exciting. With that, if we were holding him to any sort of standards, I don't, I don't think it would have played off too well. Well, uh, and I guess my problem with Buddy Rogers and and they gave him, you know, there's obviously a reason why they gave Piper Piper's pit. Uh, the sure. guy could talk his head off. Okay. But Buddy Rogers like, hello and welcome to Rogers corner. Like he just sounded so, you know, and I understand it, it was not a national product, you know, but could you try to sound any more, you know, uh, like regionalized with, you know, his, the way he spoke and just his manner of speaking. and the the segment comes off so just you know and albano could talk his ass off you know sure it just came off so i don't want to say amateurish but so half-hearted you know like it, it was like something that was like oh hey uh we got we're gonna be on the air in five minutes uh hey buddy go out there and uh we got to sit here uh, just uh, do some stuff uh and like there was no planning to it it just came off like okay and then the part that i really love is when he reveals there was never a contract Jimmy, Jimmy, you're a free man. You're free of Captain Lou Albano. You're free. You can do whatever you want, Jimmy. And then Jimmy says, buddy, will you be my manager? Well, I can't give you an answer right now. Like, why? You know, what was going on in Buddy Rogers, the television personality's life, that was so, you know, important that he couldn't say yes or no? You know, he's like, well, uh, let me wait till after your match. Till when you get half killed, okay? So then, of course, after they have the uh, the schmaz in the ring with Stevens and Snuka, hey, you're absolutely right. Both guys great. Albano was great in this. I, much like you, was at someone else's house because we also did not have WOR because back in the day in South Florida, you either got WGN or you got WOR. So we got WGN, which as a Cubs fan was great for me because I could watch Cubs game. But what was bad was on uh, the weekends when WR would show the WWF product, we couldn't watch that. So I had to, you know, depend on the kindness of uh, people that I knew. And in this case, it was my boy, Craig Halleck, who's, uh, whose house had WR. So I happened to go over and we saw this. So I saw this angle. And what I remember was this really came off like as an ultra violent angle. Yes. You know, and that was, I don't want to say the WWF never did violent angles. Certainly they did. But this, the way that uh, that Snuka bled and the fact it was on the cement and it was like people were slipping, whether it was, uh, you know, like a, a soda someone had thrown uh, or Snuka's blood. And then, of course, he had the necklace that looked like, uh, I don't know whether it was like uh, like some sort of shells or or something like that that uh, was used to, uh, you know, help bust them open. 
But it just came, it almost came off, dare I say, <laughs> as the sort of thing that ECW would do like uh, a little over a decade after this. What do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. If I recall correctly, and I, I might be wrong with this, did Don't w- ever say you're wrong, Barry, please. Did, uh, oh, please. I, at this point, I can't remember my name anymore. But didn't the WWWF either block out the blood with the big yes, X the or big something? X, yes. Yeah, so I think they may have done it. But you're right. This was hardcore, and that was my point of watching this over my friend's house because I had seen WWWF TV previously from Pete Letterberg, and – you know, I don't want to knock it, but it was boring, right? Like it was slow moving. It was plotting at times. It was boring. Then you had this kind of hardcore angle, which reminded me of Florida. Like, wow, this is shit that we would have done in Florida. And I thought it came off extremely well. And I got to say that Snuka, I mean, for all the faults of Snuka, boy, he sold this like no one ever sold before. He was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, Sweet Lou pointing out that uh, it was a puka shells. Uh, but, uh, he had went in and uh, Suka, uh, cuts himself and uh, it's a great visual. And uh, so, yeah, so we'll we'll post a link to this. This is like one of the uh, last. Uh, wait a minute. Let me let me think now. Uh, I was going to say the last big hardcore angle they did until Vince uh, bought the company from his dad. But, you know, they did the uh, well, let's see. The slaughter iron chic thing that was uh, that would have been after Vince had bought the company. Right. That would have, yes, it would have, yes. Okay, so yeah, so I, this, let's just put it, if it wasn't the last, it was one of the last real hardcore angles that they did uh, before Vince Jr. bought the uh, company from his dad. So we'll post a link to this uh, again from October 9th, 1982, Allentown, PA. I believe the uh, attending physician to Jimmy Snuka, Barry, uh-huh. uh, Dr. George Zaharian. Uh, yes, so, it was. You know, always yes. there. And uh, yeah, maybe he had some painkillers to give Jimmy after his uh, uh, bloodletting there. Uh, you know, he's, he's very, so Barry! Now let's talk a little Cali action. Yes, our own Lord uh, Lord Barry went out to Cali on a <clears throat> business trip uh, yeah, that you can write off on your taxes, I'm sure, at the end. So you uh, spent some time out there with your uh, younger lady friend. Uh, I'm sure you uh, <laughs> perhaps had a chance to dine once or twice at uh, different locations, maybe see some of the brothership. Quick recap, Barry, how'd it go? Yeah, it was, uh, well, it was the trip of a lifetime. And I got to tell you, it was my first time back in Los Angeles in about three years. My first time away from Ozzy in over three years. And that traumatizing. was really traumatizing for, I think, for both of us. He's not quite the same. And I, uh, I think I talked about him multiple times every day. And Linda, who we're going to give a name now, Jeff, she won't Ooh. just be my other half at this point. She has requested that I use her name, and I will. Well, she, wait a minute. She's already making demands? She is. Well, she's a faithful listener of Breaking K-Fabe with Bowdred and Barry. Welcome, Linda. It's good to have you as a listener here on Breaking K-Fabe with Bowdred and Barry. Ratings, but I uh, I have tried to tell her, don't you don't want me to use your real name because you're going to get about a thousand friend requests right after. But uh, I believe that's already started. So Linda and myself made our way out to Los Angeles. Uh, we had an, a fairly early morning flight and, and Zach Young Zach Rose uh, drove us to the airport, both my kids loving Linda tremendously, as she does with them. And Jeff, we get out to L.A., smooth flight, no problems. First stop, where do you think it was? I'm going to say in and out Jeff, you are 100% correct. Check. So, so we hit, uh, with apologies yes. to Linda, uh, what you're telling uh, the listeners here, Barry, and again, Linda, I apologize for this. Uh, is you got to LA and you got a little bit of the old in and out. <coughs> so, oh, oh, 
He'll be welcome, here all night. Welcome, Linda. Go ahead. Yeah, so we did. We uh, now Linda is not a a uh, a junk food eater. She has. I don't believe she's ever eaten McDonald's. She is uh, never. How had did she ever food. find you? It's we are <laughs> we are opposites in a lot of ways. Uh, but I said In and Out is really spectacular, and I took her to In and Out. We got a double double. We got fries animal style, and she took a bite, took some fries, and goes, "That's pretty good." This is pretty good. So while I, I don't think she's going to go to In-N-Out without me, uh, she had no problem going with me, and I was very happy about that. Uh, our second stop, we hit a dispensary, Jeff. We hit one that was right near In-N-Out, walked in, did uh, some of those consumables that you and I have discussed previously, got a very high THC pre-rolled uh, marijuana cigarette, which was uh, something like 60%, 65% THC, which is a very, very high level. And then right across the street from the dispensary, Jeff, I look, and where are we? The world famous improv. Oh I look my. at Linda. Linda, would you like to go to the improv tonight? She says, yes. We walk over. They have eight comedians, two headliners. Guess who the headliners were? Dom Herrera and Greg Fitzsimmons. Nice. So Good double bill. Great double bill. Six other people that I was not familiar with, though. This one guy, I think his name was Ian Beck, to me, stole the show. So Dom Herrera, let's talk about Dom. Jeff, you love stand-up comedy. I know you know who Dom Herrera is. Been around forever. I'll give you the good news and the bad news. Which do you want first? Um, let's try bad first. The bad news, Dom Herrera has Parkinson's disease. Ah, that's a bummer. And is in his mid-70s, I believe, at this point. And clearly looks like he's in his mid-70s. Yes, I've seen, I've seen recent uh, photos of Dom. He does uh, appear to have hit the wall uh, from a physical point of view. He did, and uh, he was up there for a couple minutes. His right arm shakes horrifically uncontrollably. And he even made a couple of comments about it. The good news is Dom is still able to do stand-up comedy. Linda did not think he was great. I cut him a pass because, hey, it's fucking Dom Herrera. Uh, it's Dom that's been around for 40-something years. And this was a guy that was a major stand-up comedian, clearly in the twilight of his career and probably life at this point. So for me, I was thrilled I got to see him. Greg Fitzsimmons killed but there was a couple I've actually of seen Greg Fitzsimmons. Oh, did you? Where'd you see yeah. him at? Uh, you know, when you when you were talking about Greg and Dom, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, where did I see him? I think I saw him. I know it was in South Florida because Kim and I went. Uh, I don't know if we like went to like Uncle Funny's or the Hard Rock or something, but I, I definitely saw him in South Florida, though, because yeah, he used to be great. on Stern all the time. That's it. So he was on Stern and then Stern gave him his own show on the network. And there was the Greg Fitzsimmons show that was on for a year or two. And that's where I really knew him from Stern and then listening to his own show. And I liked the guy and he was a very good stand up. But this guy that I had never heard, Ian Beck, I believe, was his name. This guy was hysterical. He was crazy. Uh, just one of the funnier stand ups. I had tears rolling down my cheeks, as did the beautiful Linda. But a lot of people did in this uh, in this facility. So. That was a great night. We uh, we woke up early the next morning, went to Venice Beach and spent the entire day on Venice Beach, which is crazy, Jeff. It's uh, it's the beach you've seen where people are working yeah, you, out. You, li you lift some weights while you're there or what? I, I lifted uh, the the beverage to the mouth was about it. So <laughs> I did curls, you know, 12 hours curls. curls. 
12 ounce curls, etc. I, I did not, but uh, it was that was great. Weather was spectacular. Uh, I think we were in the 80s, maybe almost up to 90s. Water was cold, stayed there, had a great lunch at a place called Takaya, which uh, just blew us away. But I want to talk about Takaya briefly, and I want to tell you why, because we always touch on these little things that could make you a regular of a restaurant. And we, we always say, Jeff, we've always said it's not about the fuck up. It's about the recovery. And it isn't that I want you to do so much for me. I just want you to acknowledge something. So we went, we had lunch at Tokaya. I got tacos. Linda got a salad again, much healthier than I am. I got this great beverage. It was a strawberry lemonade with basil. And I, I took a sip of it. I was like, fuck, this is amazing, right? This is great. As we're leaving to go uh, and drive back to the place we were staying, I, I stopped in and I said, hey, guys, can I get one of those strawberry lemonades with the basil? It was great. And the guy goes, you were just here. And I was like, yeah, I was here like an hour or two ago. But I got to tell you that the food was great. Everything about this place was great. We'll be back. He goes, oh, we're friends now gives me makes one gives it to me for free and says I'll see you soon. And I walked out and I was like, "Linda, you wouldn't fucking believe what just happened." So it it's little things like that which will cause me to always go back to a restaurant. I'm going to talk about another experience I had in a moment which was even better. Uh so the next day, uh that night actually, we left Venice, we went home, took a quick shower, we went to the Griffith Park Observatory. Now, Jeff, you know the Griffith Park Observatory, famous from the James Dean movie. I think it was East of Eden, if I'm correct, uh, that it was in. And also the the opening scene of The Terminator, when he lands and Bill Paxton and those other punk thugs are there. <coughs> Pardon you know what else it was in? I believe, what was the, oh God, now I can't think of it, the, the movie with uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, Steve Martin. Uh, oh, Bowfinger. Yes, yes. Yes, it was in Bowfinger. Bowfinger. Yeah. And I think it was on Bosch or Goliath. It was on yes. one of those shows. It is. I mean, it's just great. But I had never been there at night. Uh, and Linda had only been there in the day. So we we took a brief hike, went uh, – and when I say a brief hike, it, it, this, was a, this was the briefest of all the hikes we took. Uh, about 15, 20 minutes we got up there, spent about an hour, just remarkable and beautiful – uh, when it was over, we were starving. Where to go eat? We went to a restaurant. Restaurant was closed. COVID had closed its doors. One of my favorite restaurants in LA. So we went right back to In-N-Out Burger. This was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I got to say proudly, my girlfriend brought me In-N-Out, uh, bought me In-N-Out, which really meant a lot. That's a big deal. However, lesson learned for me, Jeff, we ate in and out about 11 o'clock at night, which would make it 2 o'clock in the morning our time. Guess who woke up with a raging stomach ache the next day? This guy. Oh, it's always nice when you're uh, on vacation with a girlfriend. And, uh, yeah, honey, uh, uh, I'm going to turn the fan on in the bathroom if you get my drift. <laughs> oh, it, the fan on in the bathroom. And, uh, and, and, and I'll talk about this because we've joked about it. So in the six or seven months we've been together, I've never released gas. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I clearly said to her, I said, uh, I, first I'm going to apologize. I'm going to be a little proactive and apologize way in advance. There will be farting today. Uh, <laughs> there's no, and I, I can't hide it cause I'm in, I'm cramped up and in so much pain. Is Linda uh, a fan of the old Dutch oven? Is that what you gave her? No, she's not a fan, <laughs> but I got to say really understanding. And, uh, and I applaud her because that that's never a, uh, a good look right there. So we decided 
that, and I was feeling okay other than the, uh, the stomach issue. We decided to take a hike and we were going from the base of the Hollywood sign up to the Hollywood sign. Turns out that hike is about uh, six miles. I think it's six miles each way, six miles round trip. I don't remember. Either way, Jeff, way too long for me <laughs> because I, I clearly, again, Linda works out seven days a week, a bit of an athlete in great shape. I am nowhere near Linda's level. Uh, and now, now he, I, I feel like I, I need to ask. Sure. Uh, did you do any sort of dedication to our late friend Joe Christie by the Hollywood sign? I did not. Okay. Uh, well, I let me say, I, I I did urinate at one point during the okay. hike, but I did not go number two. If uh, you had, Joe would have been looking down, giving you the big thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, I think part of the problem was I was having trouble going number two as well. My stomach was killing me, so we thought maybe the hike would help. It did not, but I made the hike. We did it. Uh, it was uh, just a spectacular, spectacular hike. Uh, absolutely just loved it. Uh, and then we went and we went to the, the La Brea Tar Pits, which are, have also been in countless movies. We did uh, the Farmer's Market, which is the, the world-famous Farmer's Market in Los Angeles. We did the Grove. We got something to eat. And then that night, uh, her boys, we were staying at the apartment that, that is uh, the apartment of her boys, they kind of came home unexpectedly. Now, I had never met the one son. I had met their, her other son. She has twin boys that are 29 years old. I'll let you do the math on that one. And uh, the poor. yeah, exactly. No, go ahead. Gotcha. <laughs> I was waiting. I think you were breaking out fingers and toes. And uh, and I got to meet the one son. A little awkward. I had never met him. And here I am in your house. But uh, her sons couldn't have been any nicer and any more cordial. And Linda and I at that point went out to Cantor's Deli, world famous Cantor's Deli uh, for dinner, where I got the matzo ball soup. I have raved about their matzo ball soup as being the best in the world, the best I've ever had. And I stick with it. Linda got the turkey BLT with avocado. Uh, just a, another great meal. I love Cantor's Deli. It's a throwback. Jewish delis, uh, they, they just don't exist. There's so few and far between at this point. It is a lost art of food. So I was excited. Still fighting the stomach issue, but then headed to Palm Springs for two days. You ever been to Palm Springs, Jeff? Uh, I had been out to Southern California. We did not go to Palm Springs. So my first time as well. And uh, as you were talking about Frank Sinatra, Frank, Frank Sinatra revered in Palm Springs. There's actually roads named after him out there in areas of the city. So made it out there, uh, had a nice time. Uh, the weather was 100 degrees every day, some days a little bit over. Our, our resort that we were staying, and this was all work-related, had had two swimming pools, just pure sun, swimming pools, fantastic. Got to go to In-N-Out Burger a third time in Palm Springs, which was great, and got to take two virgins of In-N-Out with me, which was also great. Uh, had another great meal, but we were back on the road as of Wednesday, back to L.A., back to do more fun stuff, and what a great experience. And we're going to talk about dining at this point. Went to a restaurant called Superba. And Superba, just like it says, it's in this beautiful courtyard. We sit outside. 
surrounded by plants, trees, beautiful foliage, amazing food, amazing service. The restaurant hit on a a home run on every single level. And the quality of food, they bake their own breads there. You get this bread sampler of these different types of breads. We got it with cheese and this spicy salsa that came with it. Uh, one of the beds, breads, uh, yeah, I haven't slept in days. One of the breads, they actually bake butter on top of the bread. And when they serve it to you, the butter is still in the process of melting through the bread. Oh, my God, Jeff. It was fantastic. We have this great server named Matthew. And uh, he, we, we asked him, what do we get? What, and he's recommending all this great food. Such a great server that at the end of the meal, he walks over with a piece of complimentary. And the word free, Jeff, in my vocabulary is like gold, right? Walks over with a, a complimentary piece of chocolate caramel cake with little malt balls as the garnish on top. This cake was made earlier in the day. It was a fresh cake. This was one of the best desserts I have ever had in my life, compounded by the fact that it was actually free, of course. Uh, I think we wound up leaving a 30, 35% tip for Matthew just to do it. There was nothing wrong. He just did this because that's the kind of server he is. Loved him so much, we went back the next day, Jeff had lunch again, asked for Matthew, did not give us a free dessert. We didn't need it. But if you're ever in LA, the restaurant is superba. This may be my new favorite restaurant uh, currently in operation. Had two other great meals I want to touch on. One was at a restaurant called La Poubelle. La Poubelle is a French restaurant, but yet half the dishes are in Italian. We were walking. We like menu looks good. Why don't we go in? This was unique, though, Jeff. And this was not something I was clearly a fan of. And in talking with Linda, she explained also why she wasn't a fan. It's all contactless ordering. There's no waiter. You do the QR code on your phone. You place your order. But you also have to pay for it before you order it. So you sit down. You place your order. You pay, including tip. And then your order is actually being processed by the kitchen. So you're paying for the food and the tip before you've received anything. The other thing which I thought was very unique was we ordered an alcoholic beverage. I think it was a pineapple margarita with jalapeno, which was really good. And you have to check a box that says, I attest that I am uh, 21 years or older. And then they bring you the drink. Now, they didn't card us. Now, you can confirm that, by the way. I can confirm. I, I can neither confirm nor deny, but I can confirm that, Jeff. Thank you. I, it, it was bizarre in the fact that the restaurant's completely liable uh, if you're ordering alcoholic beverages through a contactless system. So even if I was clearly under the influence of drugs or maybe completely drunk and I ordered the drink, maybe they would have refused me when they brought it. I don't know that for a fact, but I, I am curious as to what they do when they bring it and maybe somebody's underage or appears to be under the age of 30, or maybe they're drunk because you're on the hook. Taking all that out, and Linda said, I don't like this system. I like to ask for recommendations from a server. So I get that. So do I. This struck me as a very bizarre way to do business. But I got to say, the fucking food was unbelievable. We split a salad, but we got Pappardelle pasta 
with a bolognese of a riga a bolognese sauce, and the bolognese might have been the best I ever had. Uh, was blown away. Had another great dinner at a restaurant called Bakari on Third, and this was the brainchild of Rick Nathan and his beautiful wife Valerie. Rick is a longtime supporter of this podcast since day one. Works out in the entertainment industry out in Los Angeles. His wife also works out in the entertainment industry, and they'd been wanting to try this restaurant. And I got to tell you, this was a meal of spectacular proportions. Four of us there, four adult beverages, and all the food comes out in small plates. So you're not tied down to an entree. I think we got something like 12 small plates, maybe even more. We got a brie and bacon pizza out of this world. Gnocchi. Now, do you like do you like gnocchi? Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure I've ever tried it. So I'm not a fan. I've never been a fan. To me, they're... Uh, they're, it's made out of potato flour generally. They're yeah, no, I, I mean, I've seen it prepared on different cooking shows. Yeah, they're chewy, doughy balls, and I, I just don't really you like, like a it. good uh, chewy uh, ball, do you? <laughs> I, well, I do if, if they're big. If the balls tend to be bigger, then I, I'm into it. But these, it wasn't the pasta. It was the sauce. These were tossed in this Parmesan chive cream sauce. Holy fucking shit. We actually had to order a second one because we loved it. We got octopus. The brie bacon pizza was out of this world. We got uh, Hunter's mac and cheese. We added bacon to that. There was a spicy shrimp dish. There was, and I forget half the food, but my God, it was so good. And we just ate. Then we ordered dessert. And this was the kicker. So desserts in a lot of restaurants really aren't great. It, to me, it's a it's a missed opportunity. So we got the triple chocolate cake, which was really good. But they had a cake on their menu, and it's called, and I'm not making this up, the best the best cake you've ever had. And that's that's some pretty lofty expectations right there by calling it that. We order it. Holy fucking shit. This was the best cake I have ever had. At first bite, I said, wow, they're they're 100% right. It was that good. Check. It, it's, check. It was made out of some brown butter and dates, and then it's put in this butterscotch sauce. If you like butter, caramel, butterscotch, you would like this. It's rich, but oh my God, was it out of this world. It was just fantastic. So- this was just such a nice trip. I, I'm grateful we stayed, like as I mentioned, we stayed at her uh, the apartment of her sons for a couple nights. We were at this great resort in Palm Springs. Then we stayed at the Lowe's Hotel in Hollywood. And it, it just, you know, just fantastic. I, I can't say enough. We're hopeful that we can get back out there in October. So happy I got to see Rick Nathan and Valerie. Didn't get to hook up with Gabe Daigle this time. I was going to say, you kind of shined Gabe, didn't you? I, I shined Gabe a little bit, and I was like, Gabe, I'm so sorry, uh, but we're going to try to get together. Uh, Gabe and I were going to go to Pioneer Chicken, as we as we did previously, but I'm hopeful that I get to see Gabe uh, in October when I go back out, because uh, obviously I love Gabe. But just, Jeff, just a, a tremendous trip. Ate like a horse, ate some really great food, took a couple hikes. This is what I didn't tell you. We took a hike also in Griffith Park on our last day to an abandoned zoo. This was fucking creepy. This was about a 
uh, a mile, mile and a half hike, so nothing great. But apparently there was a zoo there that had been abandoned for about 50 years. And we took a hike and boy, it was pretty creepy. It was, I got some great photos of this abandoned zoo and uh, I'll be posting these in the group. Really, really cool. But I encourage anybody, if you're headed out to LA and you, you wanna get a little exercise or do something cool, the hike to the sign is great. But definitely not for everybody because it really can be uh, it can beat you down. But the hike to the abandoned zoo, I think anybody could do. And uh, I'll be doing that again, Jeff. So, well, we are glad to have you back with us, Barry. Now, of course, I know that you can spend some time. uh, Screw the work. Start catching up on your movies and TV shows. Am I right, my man? Absolutely. That's so. Yeah. First day back, Jeff. I think I was in front of the TV for about eight hours. So what were you watching? I watched Better Call Saul. I watched an episode of, actually, I watched two Rampages, one Dynamite, Better Call Saul, and I think I hit Tokyo Vice the last 30 minutes, which I had not finished. Okay, so are you caught up on Better Call Saul? I am. Yes, I am all caught up, yes. Okay, because tonight is the, uh, as we're recording this, uh, will be the mid-season break, I believe, but uh, yes. and you're enjoying it? Oh, it's, I, I still, I'm with you. I I think it may be better than Breaking Bad at this point. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. My wife and I, the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin, last night, Barry, we began, I don't know if you saw on Netflix from the uh, same guy that uh, was the writer of Bosch, The Lincoln Lawyer. Oh. Uh, yes, they have a, a season out. And it's interesting because the guy uh, that was, you, you know, the, on the show Goliath, I think it was season two where you had the guy that was the, uh, he would put people in the chair and start cutting off their limbs. Oh, yeah, yeah. He plays the Lincoln lawyer, the role that Matthew McConaughey played. So it's a, it's a little weird uh, hearing the Lincoln lawyer talk with a, uh, with a Spanish accent. So that, that's a little strange. But uh, Nev Campbell, uh, is, uh, who still looks pretty good, uh, uh, is, uh, plays one of his ex-wives. But, so I, I recommend we watched, uh, what did we watch? Three, three episodes last night. So uh, we enjoyed it. So Barry... I got to tell you a story that uh, someone I know uh, related to me. Barry, you've had a chance, uh, I'm guessing on more than one occasion, to attend a, a, a wedding or a reception, correct? Yes, I've, uh, I was at a wedding earlier this year. Uh, I was at a wedding this year, a wedding last year, and then I was at your daughter's wedding, I guess, about two or three years ago. How long has yes. that been? Uh, yeah, it seems uh, – yeah, it's crazy now that you mentioned that. Yeah. I've got a carriage three years, three and a half years now. But, uh, and of course the, well, I, I was going to say nothing crazy had happened at, at that wedding, but of course there was the bridesmaid that got drunk. Remember that Barry? Yeah, I do. Yes, I did. Yes, okay. So, uh, uh, somebody <laughs> went to a wedding, uh, and the reception took place and it led me to think about crazy wedding stories. Okay. Uh, or reception stories. Uh, for instance, when I married, uh, uh the first Mrs. Bowdrin, uh, she who shall not be named. Uh, one of the things that was interesting was, uh, first of all, uh, I, I pull up to the reception. You know, we got married. Uh, we pull up to the uh, venue where the reception was. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm Mr. Mechanical, uh, as you probably know. And uh, I see the uh, the light come on uh, in the car. I'm like, well, what the fuck? Why, why is my, you know, as I've reached the reception hall. Okay. So my brother, who is Mr. Mechanical, Mechanical comes out and it was an older car. Ah, uh, you got no water in the battery. Because, of course, I obviously spent time making sure the car was okay before we went on the honeymoon. So thank God my brother was there. So, and then uh, 
my uh, my soon to be bride. Well, at this point, she was my bride. Uh, the family, when we were, you know, doing the whole, oh, what are we going to do at the reception? We're going to have a DJ, a band, whatever. You start talking over the various and sundries. Uh, they were uh, the old uh, born agains, so they wanted no alcohol at the reception. Yeah. And Ugh. so, uh, Mister Bowdrin, uh, the first Mister Bowdrin, uh, says, hey, "Well, you know, <laughs> I'm Irish." We're having booze at this wedding. So my parents had to pay for the booze. Traditionally, is paid for by the bride's family, of course. But no, no. So my dad paid for the uh, alcohol and or liquor. And, of course, uh, in the midst of the reception, as all this stuff is going on, we look over. And there is the father of the bride taking a chug out of a champagne bottle. Yeah, he didn't want to pay for it. Didn't mind taking a nip out of it. So there was that. Then when I married the second Mrs. Bowdrin, we had, uh, uh, let me just say, I may have mentioned this, uh, bets were being taken, which of course, uh, no gambling at Bushwood, as you well know, Barry, uh, bets were being taken on uh, how long our marriage would last. Good to have support, Barry. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the over and under, I think, was six months. I lasted seven years. Did not see dollar one of that bet. I will just say that. So. So anyway, the reason I bring all this up, uh, thankfully, uh, I'm trying to think if anything really particularly unusual happened when I married uh, uh, Mrs. Bowdrin, the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin. Uh, I think other than the fact my parents got there late for the ceremony because they got lost. That might have been the only really funny thing that happened. Uh, oh, the, the other funny thing that happened was uh, we, we got married by my judge uh, who asked me uh, a couple of weeks before the ceremony, can you get me the uh, the marriage ceremony so I know or I have a copy of it with it when I go to you know perform the ceremony? Yeah, sure. So we go there. And she's like, I'm going to study it and stuff like that. So we get to the time of the wedding. And I think my judge uh, maybe had a little couple of, couple of drinky poos and uh, was feeling no pain. And she decides to start basically reciting her own vows, okay, and just goes completely off the rails. And afterwards, I was like, well, what happened to the, the ceremony I gave? Ah, I just made it up and uh, went, oh, yeah. So that was kind of funny. But the reason I bring this up is because someone I know <laughs> and care about Went to a wedding ceremony. Of course, Barry, where would it have taken place if it's a crazy story involved? Uh, in a, at a trailer park. No. Oh. It, what state? Oh, Florida, of course. Of course, yeah, yes. Of course. It took place in Florida. So uh, I'll say it. My daughter w went down, and uh, she was a, uh, a bridesmaid uh, right. at uh, one of her friends uh, who got married. Okay. So apparently she was telling us the story about uh, things that happened at the, uh, the wedding and the reception. So apparently there was one of the bridesmaids who was not quite as active a participant uh, in all the prep work as the other bridesmaids were, okay? And so, you know, like uh, they wanted to have uh, the, the pictures and apparently uh, cost-saving-wise, they decided to have the wedding, uh, I think like at 10 or 10.30 in the morning. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was a little bit cheaper at the venue. And so uh, all the uh, the bridesmaids, got up at like uh, five o'clock or something like that, uh, you know, just to start doing, you know, they got to do the makeup and the hair and the fitting. And then of course the bride has to show all her bridesmaids. Here I am in the dress and they all take pictures and they start crying and all that kind of stuff. Well, so the arrangement was they were all going to be at the venue five o'clock to start doing all this kind of stuff. Right. Well, the one bridesmaid shows up like seven. Okay. And the ceremonies, uh, you know, it's going to be a couple hours. The ceremony's due to start. They don't want to be late. Uh, because of you know the venue and stuff like that, so this girl was really being kind of a huge pain in the ass. So uh, my daughter's telling me all the story, and I'm like, oh wow, that's uh, that's kind of rude. And so I'm like, no, no, but wait till we get to the best part of what she did. 
Now, mind you, Barry, the story I'm about to tell you, this was not uh, just a random guest at the wedding or at the reception. This was somebody who was a member of the wedding party, okay? So, you know, you got the guest book where everybody signs in. Uh, uh, Barry Rose and Linda, uh, okay? Hey, if you go to a, a wedding, okay? Uh, uh, Jeff and Kim Bowdrin at a wedding. No, so my daughter actually took a picture of the sign-in book, okay? And you got uh, the different people that signed in. Maybe, oh, you know, we love you, this kind of stuff. So this girl puts this in there. Quote, marriage is like a dick. Sometimes it's full of ups and sometimes <laughs> it's down. But if you keep riding it, you'll get there. Stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> you, you, you make a joke about someone's dick on, on their wedding day. Well, what do you think? That's pretty. Uh, yeah. A little That's, LC there? Yeah, just a little bit. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. I just I was like, are you kidding me? No, no, no. And, no. and uh, oh, by the way, you'll be surprised to hear, Barry. Apparently, uh, they're not friends anymore, the bride. Oh, go figure. I, I know it's a stunning development. And, and part of the reason also, according to what uh, my daughter told us, was uh, the girl after the ceremony, yeah, you know, people go out and they, oh, let me uh, go and, and shake hands with the different, you know, the bride and groom do that. They go to all the different tables, shake sure. hands. Thanks so much for coming to our ceremony, whatever. So this girl goes over and sits at a table that is pretty much, like to say if it's a table of 10, eight of the people are her family members, okay? Uh Two other people that were there are friends of Kelly's, okay? And so after the uh, girl came over and sat down, uh, like that, uh, Kelly's friend comes over and says, yeah, I got to tell you something. She goes, what? She goes, well, uh, this girl that's the, uh, the bridesmaid in your party here or your friend's party and talking a little trash about the bride. My daughter says, excuse me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were uh, just pretty much putting the old verbal boots to the bride. Yeah, again, you're a member of the wedding party. And what I told Kelly when she told me this, I go, you know, if you don't want to be there, there we just tell the girl, ah, I'm sorry, I got a very important commitment. I couldn't possibly make it on this wedding day. You know, uh, I got family coming. To tell some kind of story and just get out of being in the wedding. Don't go there, be an asshole. Write something vulgar in a in a book that's supposedly a keepsake for the rest of their life. I'm sure 50 years from now, somebody making a joke about the riding the dick is going to be really uh, very appropriate <laughs> to read on your 50th anniversary. Uh, but you know, it, am I wrong, Barry? Just get out of it. Just say you can't do it. Oh God, yeah. Just yeah. Why why be in the middle of of something like that? But it all sounds. I mean, it all sounds like a total fuck up. So Jeff, with that, what's the crit? Taking yourself out of it the craziest wedding story you have? Mm, well, I, you know, I mentioned it. I, I probably the whole thing with, uh, let's see. I'm going to say, you know, maybe that that people were taking bets on the fact that uh, my second wife and I didn't, weren't going to make it six months. That's, yeah, that's always is, a good sign, you know. Which is, that's, and that's terrible that people would do that. But uh, who won that pool? Including a former judge, I will just say, who was at the wedding. Oh, all right. I don't know how much action she was taking, but, uh, you know, she was in on the pot, I think. So what about you, Barry? Any great uh, reception stories? I went to a wedding down in South Florida. Of course, of course. Yeah, it exactly. This would have been, I think it was around 92, and it was... It was a, uh, there were a lot of Hungarians. I guess it was a Hungarian wedding. One member was hung. I take it back. One was Hungarian. The other was not Hungarian. But there were a lot of Hungarians. 
there was a married couple there who I guess the husband was the boss of the groom. And he was completely got completely drunk, completely shit faced. And his wife, he disappeared. His wife went looking for him. And all you heard was screaming because she caught him fooling around with one of the bridesmaids. Oh, I hate when that happens. Who was this overweight Russian woman, which I, yeah. I clearly remember. So that was a little bit crazy because – and everybody was – people were laughing at it, all of it. I was just like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, where are we? <laughs> really bizarre, really bizarre. But uh, apparently this is common at some of these weddings. Oh, those crazy Hungarians. So, but again, Barry, you mentioned that uh, story took place in Florida, which leads me, smooth segue, Barry. Oh, it's time for Florida Man or Not. Are you ready? I'm never ready. Bring it on. I have lined up. Uh, I want to thank, uh, we've got some uh, people that send me the stories and say, hey, what, what do you think about this? I, I have one story, Barry, that I swear to God, six people sent me. Hey, did you, I said, yes, uh, you're the fifth person that told Can me. Can I ask this. you a question? Was yeah. the, I got this as well. Uh, which one was this? Because I got it. One of the stories I got five times. I'm forgetting what the story was, but I got it five times. Well, I'll, I'll read them to you. And if you say, yeah, I know where the story's from because I okay. got it. Well, we can yeah. see. Uh, the uh, headline, Barry, I'm going to clear my throat there. And women arrested for masturbating an open vehicle with her feet sticking out of the door. Yes, oh. Barry, people say we love the masturbation stories uh, coming uh, in the wacky news segment. Barry, that's the headline. Uh, I love this. The trigger warning. The story has details of a case of indecent exposure that readers may find disturbing. Ooh. Oh. A woman was arrested after she was caught masturbating in her vehicle with her feet sticking out of the door. She continued pleasuring herself even after the cops arrived. This is a woman <coughs> who has a commitment to what she's doing. You got to appreciate uh, her for that. Uh, let's say uh, it is believed. Oh, here's a shocker. Barry, believe that she may have been under the influence of drugs at the time. Oh, it's hard to believe. Yeah, it's shocking. Uh, cops reached an area after several 911 calls were made uh, about the incident. Uh, this is according, uh, this doesn't give away anything, Barry, according to uh, an affidavit that was on the Smoking Gun website. County Dispatch also received information about the naked woman. She was in a gold-colored Pontiac SUV and alone in the driver's seat. Police arrived on the scene. They found the car in neutral in the driver's side. So she... Had it so bad, Barry, that she didn't even put the car in park. Well, I we just put wow. the in neutral and start going to town on myself. Barry, Florida woman or not? Uh, and as I usually say. Oh, and it gets better, Barry. Allegedly, she said the voices made her do it. Oh, it's Florida then. If it's the voices, it's, it's Florida. Yeah, Florida. I'm going with Mankato, Minnesota. Wow. Who's from, who is that? Was that Rick Rude? Who was it was from Robbinsdale. Uh, I don't know. I, the Vikings used to have training camp in Mankato. That's okay. all I want to say. So you Mick Karch, Mitch, is Mick from Mankato? Uh, we'll have to hear from uh, from Mick on that. I'm not into, I know he's from Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, so uh, our next story, as it's uh, be a little slow to pull up. So uh, okay, here we go. Headlines: Man dies while burying a woman he strangled. Okay. Sixty year old man who strangled his girlfriend died of a heart attack while burying her. In their backyard, deputies found Joseph McKinnon's body Saturday after neighbors called and reported an unconscious man in a yard. As they investigated his death, deputies found a body wrapped in trash bags in a freshly dug hole and determined that it was his girlfriend. I hate when this happens, Barry. Florida oh, yeah. man. 
This one is Florida. Th- yeah, this one definitely is Florida. Trenton, South Carolina, the Palmetto State Mary. Well, never heard of Trenton. You ever heard of Trenton? I have heard of Trenton, New Jersey, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, so uh, uh, this is our first uh, story from Trenton, South Carolina. Congratulations. You've finally made it. You've been uh, mentioned on Florida Man or Not on a Breaking Cafe with Bowden and Barry. Barry, wife hits husband with a car, then shoots him in the butt. That's the headline. Jose Trujillo claims he was riding his bike on Tuesday when his wife, Catherine, got in front of him with his car and slammed on the brakes. Trujillo told the news, she happens to see me headed towards that way, pulls in front of me, hits the brakes really fast, and I hit the back of her car. According to Trujillo, that's when Cruz pulled out and cocked a gun. I'm holding her hands and she's letting off rounds, shooting about four rounds in the fifth round. She happens to weasel her way out, and that's when she shoots me, quote, back there. The bullet hit him in his right butt cheek. Trujillo said his wife started screaming that he was robbing her, and a good Samaritan stepped in, using a taser to stun him. So he he gets shot, and the neighbor comes over and and uses a taser on him. Barry, Florida man or not? This one, 100% definitely was the state of Florida. Naples, Florida. Oh, Barry, that southwestern tip of the state. All kind of good stuff happens there. That's Mark Russ country right there. That's pretty close. Naples too, Jeff. Naples, for the most part, very high end. That's where a lot of the millionaires and billionaires go. Any in our group? Do we have any millionaires or billionaires in our group? We have a plastic surgeon, Dr. Philip Kahn. He's might be it. Bruce Cohen just retired. Does that count? Yes, I did see that. Congratulations, yeah. Bruce. Yes. So next headline, Barry. <clears throat> <clears throat> Teen claims nipples fell off after freezing them with a body spray dare. Wow. Teenager claims he took a dare to the next level and is feeling the effects of it years later. The 19-year-old male, whose identity was not disclosed, go figure, had been dared by a classmate to spray two entire cans of Axe body spray. Barry, have you ever used Axe body spray? No, no, my Zach has. I never have. You know, I know that when my kids were in high school, Axe was super popular with the high school crowd. Uh, it, it was like one of those things where it comes across a tad on the heavy side as far as a, uh, a, a cologne or spray. Uh, uh, he sprayed two entire cans of Axe body spray on his nipples. And now he says they're gone. But one medical expert doesn't think it's possible. Website says that uh, they did not publish p- pictures of the student's chest or refer to having seen any evidence. A medical expert has previously said it is not possible to freeze nipples off with body spray. The student said that after he accepted the challenge, he stood with his chest exposed in one of his former school's changing room as a classmate emptied two cans directly onto his nipples. The outcomes compared to compared to a warts of the teen who was 15 at the time. At first, it was just cold, he reported. It's not really a big thing. And then it starts to burn, and you're just standing there waiting for it to finish. It was fine. It was all fine. Then the boy who was actually freezing my nipples, he flicked both of his nipples, and that's when oh. I just fell off. Oh. Barry, Florida man. Wow. Hot. Now there's a story right there, Jeff. Flicking his nipples. Now this is in Florida. This uh, this took place. This took place somewhere out uh, either the Midwest or out west somewhere. Liverpool. British. There you go. The home of the Beatles. 
<laughs> there you go. And, and I, I will say this is not uh, some scurrilous rag of a website. A Newsweek, Barry. This is uh, apparently now whether or not, uh, you know, he did a, it was a legitimate news source. I'll say that. Right. So uh, uh, next, Barry. Uh, oh, and I, I want to give credit. This is uh, from our friend Kevin Orcutt, uh, who we haven't heard from recently. Kevin sends us this headline. And Barry, it involves food, which I know that uh, you're always happy to discuss. But yes. the headline, when I tell you the headline and then read you the story, uh, is a discussion point. The headline says, child porn investigation reveals Arby's worker peeing in milkshakes. This was the article that was sent to me also by five or okay. six people. Yes. So, okay, so, so you know this apparently uh, was in Vancouver. I My do. question is, first of all, peeing in the milkshake, completely reprehensible. Guy's a scumbag. I don't know who he was servicing. Apparently, he said uh, he was uh, receiving uh, sexual gratification from urinating in a milkshake mix. I read that. My question is, how does this rise to the level of child porn? Well, was there more involved? I didn't read the whole article. Was there more involved, though? No, I kept looking for, you know, like, I didn't know if this, like, one of the victims was a child. But it doesn't say that. So, but even so, it w that wouldn't be child porn, right? Child yeah. porn is, yeah. Well, because I read, I think they nailed him, but they okay, were. Okay, wait a minute. I, I just noticed he admitting uh, he downloaded child porn. Okay. That's what it was, right? Yeah. So they were investigating but, him on child porn. Yes, that had nothing to do with the fact he was peeing in a milkshakes, which again, let's hope he fucking gets his just desserts, no pun intended, for that one. Uh, Barry, let's uh, take a look at our next headline. Uh, 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 clear my throat here, Barry. Yes, the, sir. Page uh, <clears throat> So, Barry, 17 pounds of marijuana law violation, uh, move over law violation leads to big drug busts. So, according to this, Barry, man, he was from Texas, is behind bars on drug charges because he failed to follow the move over law. Officers said that one of their deputies had a car pulled over on I 95, doesn't say which state, oh, when okay. another. With another, when another deputy pulled over Anthony Diaz because he blew past the traffic stop without moving over. Like, no, let me just say, hey, you're, you're driving on whether it's a, an interstate, a major highway. If the cop has someone pulled over to the side of the road, giving them a speeding ticket, whatever, eh, come on, people. If you're able to, if there's multiple lanes, move over. You know, uh, we, we don't want to hit, you know, a, an officer. We don't want to hit a car that would endanger the officer or the person being cited. That's just common sense. This idiot didn't do that. So, Barry, tell me, Florida man or not? <sighs> and because he didn't do that way, as the headline reads, uh, he did that, and he had 17 pounds of pot in his car, Barry. Yeah, so, e again, easily could have been Florida. I'm going to say that this is not Florida. This was, this is Virginia. Brevard County, Florida. Damn it. Oh. Diaz now being held on charges of uh, possession of marijuana with intent to sell. And 17 bags. It's not uh, for personal consumption. What up? Right. Possession of THC oil. Possession of THC oil with intent to sell. Possession of THC wax. Barry, have you ever tried the THC wax? As recently as last evening. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> apparently. Uh, <laughs> that was obviously when you were still in California, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, let's see. A couple more here, Barry. Including, I will say, our last one, which is one of the great headlines we've ever read. Barry, two people cited after bringing a pet fawn into a Walmart. What? Two people are in hot water after they brought their pet, quote unquote, fawn into a Walmart. 
Department of Natural Resources said they got a call about the baby deer in an area store. County Sheriff's Office called the game warden who was able to track the two people down and confiscate the deer. The deer was then turned over to local licensed wildlife rehabilitator. Both people were cited for being in possession of, a, of wildlife without a permit. <laughs> I love this quote. It's probably a good time to remind everybody that just because you find a fawn abandoned by its mother, it's most likely has been left alone until she returns and should never be moved. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, just like going over, oh, there's a baby bear. I'm sure their mother is nowhere near. Very Florida man or not. This one is not Florida, though, Jeff. This one is a it's a different state. This one is actually your current home state of Georgia. Uh, uh, what what makes you guess that? I don't know. I just uh, at some point I just start throwing shit at the Augusta, at the Georgia. Home Seriously? The Masters. Yes, you guessed. Wow. Absolutely. You hit that spot on the nose, Barry. Congratulations. I know. Jesus. Yeah. Very very impressive of you. Wow. So Barry, now it is time for what I feel may be the best sideline. You know, I know we had one uh, within the last few weeks that we said was one of the greatest ones. Barry, your highest level of education was high school or some college. What was it? It was I graduated college. I am okay. a graduate. Yes. Uh, a graduate? Not, well, yeah, not let's not brag about my GPA. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's not go there, but let's say I, I was able to graduate college. Yes. Okay. So if you had not, if you still <laughs> yeah. needed a couple of credits to get you past the old finish line. The headline, Barry, college stirs controversy with new porn course. A college has stirred controversy and backlash because of what students will be doing together in the classroom. Students can now enroll in Film 3000. See, this is solid academics right here, Barry. Wow. A course where they will discuss the intersection of pornography with class and gender as well as watch pornographic films. Barry, right away, are you in on this? It's, how many credits do I get for this course? Well, I don't know. Let's the see. course offering has put the school in the national spotlight because some students say it's making them even more interested in the class. I definitely think since the stirrup about it has actually made me want to take it more, said senior Janessa Jamo. The course is being offered for the spring semester. It will begin in May, Barry. It's not too late. Uh, let's see. The quote, hardcore pornography is as American as apple pie and more popular than Sunday night football. Our approach to this billion-dollar industry is as both a cultural phenomenon that reflects and reinforces sexual inequalities but holds the potential to challenge sexual and gender norms and as an art form that requires serious contemplation. This course description uh, re reads, uh, Barry, are, are you willing to give this course serious contemplation? Yeah, but you know what? It also sounds like if this it, you took this course, it, you're not – the average guy is probably looking at this going, okay, I'm going to get in there. I, I'm going to see some good porn. This is much better than hearing a monotone speaker speak about algebra for two hours, whatever it is. But you do get the feeling that you get in here and it's going to be extremely clinical and not really sexual, but it, it does have the potential to be interesting. And I've told this story when I was in college, I took a course and it was geared towards film, television, media, et cetera. I forget exactly what it was, but literally all we did the entire semester was watch The Twilight Zone and discuss it. So to me, best class I ever had, right? So Florida man or not, or the, the Florida course or not? This is not, this is, this is California on this one. Barry, of all the states, uh, you're wrong, by the way. Okay. 
of all the states that you would think would offer a course like this, what state would be your least likely? Utah. Utah College. <laughs> Seriously? Fucking Utah. Can you wow. believe this? I mean, that was what really made the story so interesting to yeah. me was like, you know, and this is like, uh, what would you call California or a, a state that's known for uh, you New, know, York. New York state. Sure. Yeah. But Utah is not where I would think they would offer a course on porno, uh, pornography or pornography, as I was almost going to say. Pornography. Yeah. So uh, anyway, crazy times there. Good times, though. Barry, now I think we've kind of run the gamut of things. Wedding talk, prescription medicine talk, wrestling talk. We had trivia about Die Hard. Uh, you know, geez, is there anything we haven't covered, Barry? Uh, uh, your did. trip to, to Cali. Cali, we talked about food. Uh, I think we've hit all the bases on this episode. I, uh, my wife made me a chicken noodle uh, over mashed potatoes last night. It was excellent. Wasn't quite as good as uh, you're a superba and all that kind of stuff in Cali. But as I uh, I say this, I will say on behalf of my co-host, Barry Rose, freshly back from vacation, ready to record now at a minute's notice. He says, you know, I'm available to you completely whenever you want to record. <clears throat> Maybe not. Uh, so uh, I will say that I am the booker, Jeff Bowder, my co-host, Barry Rose, up in Plymouth Meeting, PA. Back in Plymouth Meeting, Ozzy missed him so terribly. And our producer, the sweet man, Lou Kippelman, out in the city by the bay. Breaking Cape Ava Bowdernberry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Can you hear Ozzy barking in the background? Because he's so happy that his dad is home. Take it off, Lou.